I only really ever made quilts and still only really ever make quilts. Even the things that I make that aren't quilts like bags are really just quilts that have been seamed up the sides. I mean, I'm really dedicated to this quilting thing. There's just something about it that just completely sits perfectly on my psyche. It's flat, but it's useful and it's layered and there's like all these different things to consider, but it's like a giant painting but you don't have to hang it on a wall. There's something, uh, it just like hits all the right spots. It's always just been about quilting for me, still. And I always thought it would get old, like I'd run out of things to quilt. Totally not the case. Welcome to Hello Atelier. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me is producer Jonathan Getz. And before we get started, I wanted to send a quick thank you for all of you who have been leaving reviews on iTunes. Leaving reviews helps us get noticed in the avalanche of podcasts, and getting noticed can lead to more frequent seasons. So if you haven't already, hop on over and post a review. It takes less than a minute. And thank you. Anyway, let's talk textiles. Yes. Today we are jumping back into my favorite world of textile design. Many moons ago, I met today's guest, Tula Pink, at a meeting of the Modern Quilt Guild. At the time, I owned a fabric store, and she was a fairly well-known fabric designer. Today, she is officially a fabric superstar. Her work is so sought after that there is even an underground network of people trading her fabric. I remember you told me Tula was an L.A. native. Yep. But she came out to the Midwest to make it big. That's a refreshing turn of events. And after seeing her studio in St. Joseph's, just about an hour north of Kansas City, I think her decision has been rewarded. I've wanted to visit Tula's studio for years, and it was everything I expected. On the outside, it is a gorgeous old brick barn, but one step inside and everything is white, bright, and it feels like Tula. And not only because it seems like every surface is covered in her fabric, but you feel her design aesthetic in details like the skull and crossbones fire grate and the mantle full of hand statuary. All of this you can see, by the way, on our website. We could have shot a catalog's worth of photos in that place. Quite photogenic. All right, let's jump in. Tula starts appropriately at the beginning. I feel like I probably made things out of the umbilical cord. I don't know. Look, Mom, macrame. Um, I mean, I've just kind of always drawn, for sure. Drawing has always been something that I've done for as long as I can remember. Actually making things really got started when I started sewing. That's when drawing became more three-dimensional for me and became about objects. I just loved sewing. I love power tools and I love drawing and I feel like that is the best melding of those two things. So how did you get into sewing? Total fluke. I got into sewing because my grandma gave me a sewing machine like she didn't sew she was one of those like long red fingernails that perfectly quaffed afro I had all the other art things and she just got me like this hundred dollar sewing machine from who knows where when I was 12 and I immediately started cutting like pillow shaped holes in all my mom's drapes so she's like enough you know and marched me down to a fabric store so that I could stop tearing her house apart and it just happened to be a quilt shop I think if it was an upholstery store or like a general fabric store with all kinds of things, it wouldn't have stuck. 
but it was a quilt shop and quilt shops have one type of fabric typically, you know, especially back then. And it was like walking into a box of crayons, you know, they were all in color order. They were all the same. It was so magical to just walk into a giant rainbow and you can just take all these things and cut them apart and put them back together. And I was just like totally enamored with the fabric selection process. Did you do patterns when like you were first starting out or did you just jump into making your own? When I first started out, the I took a quilting class, right? I was 12. I took a quilting class. The lady at the quilting store kindly asked me to never come back to my mom's like, don't bring her back. She's too young. She's crazy. And we do not want to be responsible for her. They taught in that first class, they taught us how to make like a four patch, like just taking four squares and sewing them together. So I did that forever. You know, because for me, it was always just about the fabric. I didn't really care about how intense the patterns were, the actual sewing patterns, like how complicated the actual pieces were. It was more about this fabric next to this fabric and how this one talks to this and what kind of story these prints create together. So I went to art school. I was going to be a children's book illustrator. That was the goal. But I used to just buy like all kinds of different children's books. I just love the paintings, the illustrations. And they were so, as opposed to like fine art and, you know, more serious like editorial illustrations, you could do anything. There was so much more, and I hate this word, whimsy to it. Like it could be anything, you know, it's like if you wanted to have a flower growing out of a girl's head perfectly acceptable and it was in no way like political or you know it was just because you could which is what I do in my fabric I do things just because I can. After graduation Tula found herself working not in children's books but in the music industry. She had landed a job as an art director at a record company designing album covers for a roster of artists that included Rihanna, Britney Spears, Megadeth, and Snoop Dogg. A couple of us at the record company ended up breaking off and doing art shows on the side. And we called ourselves the Love Bandits. Yeah, it was pretty good. And we had like pseudonyms and the whole thing. And we kept our identities secret and had shows and actually like did okay. It was pretty fun. We had shows in LA and like New York. We even had some work in Tokyo for a while. It was kind of a thing. We were just painting. We would just get together on Friday night at, you know, one of our houses and sit in the garage and drink and paint all weekend and just do whatever we wanted. Because, you know, we spent our weeks being told what to do by people that we felt were less qualified to like visually articulate their message than we were, right? And you had to just do it. And that was fine because that was the job, you know? And so the weekends we used as sort of a way to exercise our creative demons kind of. Did you start doing fabric before you came out here? I did start doing fabric. I started doing fabric when I still worked at the record company. So I was a super secret closet weekend nighttime quilter because, you know, I didn't want to like lose my street cred with Snoop Dogg if he found out that I was like making granny crafts at night, right? And sometimes I'd bring him in and show my coworkers and they were just like, oh, weird. (laughs) Like, why are you doing this? But I had been doing it all along, you know, like I'd been quilting all along. I never really let go of it. Business reports today are full of talk on disruptors, which are startup businesses, designers, or influencers that have instigated sweeping changes across an industry, simply by looking at the business from a different angle. In the quilting industry, 
That disruption happened years ago, when one designer, Amy Butler, released her first line of fabric. It was bold, it was bright, and the fabric world hasn't been the same since. I didn't really think about designing my own fabric until Amy Butler came on the scene. And anyone who's in fabric knows who she is. Like, she changed the game. Before that, there was this really big new movement called Shabby Chic in quilting fabric, which was already at that time, like even Pottery Barn was over it. It was way past in the mainstream world, but it was really new in quilting fabric. And I mean, people were just like, oh my gosh, this is so fresh. And, you know, so I was taking those fabrics and over dyeing them in like hot pink and aqua and lime greens and all these bright colors. And I'd still get that floral underneath. And then I'd screen print on top of it, just trying to get something that I actually wanted to use because I wanted to do this quilting thing. But I didn't, the materials weren't super available. They were either brown Civil War reproductions or shabby chic in this particular market. And then Amy Butler came on the scene and it was like a total 180. I mean, she was doing these giant multicolored florals and all these really intense prints and colors and all this stuff. And the scales were insane. You know, up until that point, everything was kind of calico-y. I mean, not everything. I'm making massive generalizations, but it was like little things or novelties or like tiny ditzy flowers or, you know, things like that. And then here come these big, bright, colorful things. And I was like, whoa, wait, like you can do this. It was the first time I realized that It was actually someone's job to design the fabric. Like there was actually a person behind it. It wasn't just this thing that I went and bought that just like magically appeared from some factory somewhere. Like there was a person. And that was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. And, you know, I'd been there for a little while and at the record company and I was just, and then Amy came along and Kay Fawcett came along and these people that were doing these like really amazing things with fabric. And I was like, I just want to do that. And I called my mom and I was talking to her about it. And she goes, well, then just do it. I started just drawing things, what I thought a fabric line should be. I had like a paisley and a flower and a leaf and a stripe and a dot, like, cause that's what I had always seen. And I was so bored. I was like, the world doesn't need this. Like I was looking at it and it's like, yeah, it's pretty, but like, why would they buy this over anything else? And I started to sort of manipulate the shapes in the drawing. And I was like, oh, if I move this here and I move this here, it kind of looks like an owl. I can take that and turn it into something else. And I ended up sort of inadvertently designing this whole line of hidden animals. It wasn't what I set out to do, but it was kind of cool and it was different. And it was like, okay, like I can make a case, like I can sell this to somebody without feeling bad about it, without feeling like I'm trying to sell you something you don't need. I'm sorry. We wrangled a few art directors email addresses off some back end of some websites. And I just started sending it off. And within like 36 hours, I had a contract. I was really lucky, though, because this was right before the big designer boom, maybe a season or two later, the big trade show quilt market aisles were just full of people looking for fabric contracts. I think had I waited a little longer, it either would have been a lot harder, I might not made it through that barrier, like it might have just been too saturated at that point. 
it was really funny too, because when I went to go like actually seek out a contract to design fabric for a company, once I had done some research and figured out how it worked, I was actually offered contracts at two different companies. And one of them was the company that Amy Butler was at. And I ended up going with the other company because I was too afraid. It was just too intimidating, right? To be like peers with Amy Butler, who is not a real person for me. She was like this goddess. You may think that Tula is exaggerating when she talks about Amy Butler's influence. But as a sewist myself, I can tell you that much in the same way people remember where they were when they first heard the Beatles or Nirvana, I can tell you where I was when I first saw Amy Butler's fabric line. I also remember the first time I found myself surrounded by the color bonanza that is Kay Fassett's fabric. Even fresher in my mind is the excitement of finding myself in Kaif's home interviewing him for this very podcast. If you want to hear more about this influential designer, who was an early inspiration to Tula, check out episode 16 of Hello Atelier. Now, back to Tula. Color's the crucial element. Because when you walk into a store, you see the color before you ever get close enough to see what's actually on the fabric. Color for me is 100% instinctive, but for me, it's more about the combination of colors than about a single color. Like I get really excited when I see a really interesting combination of colors. I was just watching a commercial the other day and it was a girl walking up the steps. She's not even the point of the commercial. And she's in this lavender dress with this weird neon orange embroidery just around the cuffs and collar. And I like had to go online, find that commercial, stop it, rewind it just to see the colors to make sure I saw it right. And then, you know, I like Pantone chipped out what I thought the colors were and like based my whole next fabric line on this one dress in the background of a commercial. So I definitely pick up things I see because there's a tendency like anything, there's habits in everything, even with color. Every new line I do, I always think I'm doing something so radically different. Like I'm really pushing the line for myself on color and then it comes in and I put it on the shelf next to last season's collection and I'm like wow that coordinates so well so when I'm drawing a fabric collection all the way through so I draw it all out in pencil and then I redraft it in Adobe Illustrator and get it all nice and ready for production I work in black and white up until the very very end So I don't add in color till the end because I discovered early that if I work in color in the beginning, it changes how I see the design. It adds a layer of sort of judgment on it. And I'll think I have this great design in pink and orange. And then I go to try to make it other colors and I can't. Like it doesn't look good in any other colors. Like I've designed it specifically for this palette and then when I drain all the color out of it, I reali- I'll often realize that it's like not even, the design's not even right. I was so married to the color of the thing that I couldn't see the actual lines and shapes and whether or not it was working. So I work in black and white up until the very end. And then I spend about an equal amount of time as I do drawing actually just moving color around. So if I'm doing a 24-piece fabric collection, typically eight designs and three colors each, I'll probably color out maybe 150 different color combinations. Being identifiable, I think, is the bread and butter of being successful at this. It's not so much about being good or bad. It's about being identifiable as you. 
And I made that decision pretty early that I would let my hand show in everything I did. Like I didn't feel like, and still don't feel like I'm the best illustrator, even in the industry, or the best painter in the industry, or the best anything. But I do exactly what I do as best I can. I mean, I would like to think that there's like an authenticity that's apparent in it, which is why people are drawn to it, because it's never trying to be anything but it, what it is. Sure, I wish some things were cleaner or smoother or more polished or something. I don't know. I feel like I'm constantly looking at other people's fabrics going, I wish I could do that. But I can't. And they can't do what I can do. And it's like letting your own talent be what it is at whatever level it is, is more important than being the best at what somebody else can also do. When you are building a business and find yourself at the point where you need to hire employees, how can you be sure you're hiring the right people? You know, people who actually care about you and the business? Well, for Tula, it was easy. She hired her mother and her brother. So I work with my brother, Cameron, who is sort of the grand maestro of all my social media and online content. I mean, it's my words, my photos, my everything, but he does all the strategy. And I mean, he's kind of a genius, not kind of, he is. I hope he doesn't listen to this because it'll go to his head, but he's pretty magnificent. As it started growing, I needed to bring people on. My brother graduated from college and I was like, well, why don't you come work for me? Because it was kind of at a time where the job market was a little tough and California is hard to begin with. So he moved out here just to give it a go and ended up just changing the whole game for me. Brought an element to this that I never, ever would have been able to bring. Just the way he thought about things was so new. And then uh, my mom actually owned a quilt shop for a number of years. And then had twins later in life. And after she had the twins, she's just like, I just can't keep this up. Like, this is crazy. This Because, sh- you know, you know, you had a shop. Running a shop is like 24-8. Mm-hmm. It's constant. There is no break. And so she sold off her shop and came and worked for me originally just part-time so that she could, you know, deal with these two little rugrats she gave birth to and the two older ones that she gave birth to a lot longer ago. <laughs> And ended up again changing things like bringing a level of professionalism and sort of organization to this that, you know, I'm the designer. I have no business running anything. And we all bring something super unique to the table. And there was a learning curve to working with family. We definitely like went through some adjustments because you have to really figure out, okay, after five o'clock, your mom, but before five o'clock, you're not mom and I can't treat you that way. I can't be like, hey, mom, run my schedule and make me a sandwich. Like that doesn't work. You know, not that I would do that after five either. But so learning how to talk to each other was super interesting. And it took some time. The the hard part, I think, was how do you tell your mom what to do? Like I was physically incapable of it. It would be like, mom, um, could you please like, maybe if you have some time, like if you're not too busy, do you think you could help me like with this? And she's like, yeah, that's my job. So it was like getting the dynamics to work was always really interesting. And the biggest problem we had was we're all alphas. We're all in charge types. 
when we'd go to quilt market and set up these big elaborate booths, we all had our own way of pushing in every screw, hanging every quilt. Now we have like we had to assign jobs of the three of us. Who's the only one who has authority over the other two? And that's our mom. She has the most authority. So she's the foreman. She's in charge of determining how the trailer gets packed, how it gets unpacked, how things get built. And we just like there's no arguing. She is the queen of quilt market and we are not allowed to argue with her. We had to set up a lot of rules and get used to how to talk to each other and how to interact with each other in a professional way and like keep those two things separate. In 2015, the very private Tula opened up her world to QNNTV for an online reality series documenting her life as she designed her Eden collection. Not only were viewers welcomed into her home and studio, they also received a rare glimpse into her personal life. During the series, Tula openly discussed her troubled teenage years when she was running rampant in a world of drugs. Though that experience is now long in the past, I asked her if it had any lasting influence on her life and business today. I mean, that really awful period of growing up when I was just a hellion has everything to do with how I am today. I definitely have this sense of I have to earn everything from that experience. I don't feel like oh, I have 75,000 Instagram followers, so whatever fabric line I put out next is going to sell. Like, I can just put stuff out. I don't ever, ever feel that way. I feel like the counter starts over every single season, and I have to earn all that loyalty from season to season to season. And I think that moment taught me to never take anything for granted, to never feel entitled to anything. And I think that has served me incredibly well. It makes me work hard, but it makes me enjoy it. Because every time a fabric line does do well, or somebody is really excited about a book or something, I feel like I've 1000% earned that. I don't ever feel ungrateful for it. Like it just keeps me feeling really grateful all the time, which I think is super valuable. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Tula Pink. To learn more about Tula's work and to see pictures from her studio, head over to helloatelier.org. Hello Atelier is a production of the Phonicalia Media Network. An easy way to help support this program is to subscribe for free on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see extras from the podcast and where you can live a little Hello Atelier every day.